Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. So Fabinho in for Van Dijk for Liverpool and Amsterdam during the week. More pay-per-view football, but who's going to watch it? Marcus Rashford has a very significant time this week on and off the pitch. And as Manchester United win in Paris, should Manchester United play PSG all the time? All these issues to discuss with Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's chief sports writer, with Viv Anderson, the former England and Manchester United and Nottingham Forest defender, and Matt Letizia, once of England and Southampton. Hello, everybody. Great to see you looking so well and so much to talk about this week off the pitch and a lot of it really significant. Let's start with Marcus Rashford, who has got an MBE for all his outstanding work in the last couple of months. But now it's gone to another level. Viv, let me start with you. So many local businesses, cafes who have been really struggling themselves, stepping in at the moment and saying, half term next week, if your child needs feeding and there are no free school meals next week because it was voted against in Parliament, we will step in and feed them for you. So come to our cafe, come to our establishment, whatever. A few councils are as well, to be fair. Does this? Do you sit there and think you really shouldn't underestimate what footballers can do off the pitch as well as on it? Yeah, I agree. And when I started back in the, and Matt would know this, back in the 70s, um, <clears throat> We didn't have a voice, you know, black players didn't have a voice. It's great that Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling have got such a powerful voice and can change government ruling. And I think people in the Manchester area who, who say they're going to feed the kids is a great indictment for them. It's fantastic. And the, yeah. and the government should take notice of that. I think it's a great initiative, what Marcus has taken on. Obviously, it's come from personal experiences, and it's, it's really valid, I think. And thoroughly deserved his MBE, in my view. Um, and Matt, uh, Matt Hancock said at the beginning of COVID that he wanted footballers to do their bit. I think footballers have more than done their bit. And here's the evidence, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. 100% evidence. Um, you know, I, I found that a bit galling, uh, actually, when he, when he came out and said that, if I'm honest. Um, because I think footballers down the years have always done their bit in the community. And, and it's something that doesn't always get publicised. Um, and I think for, for Hancock to come out and say that I thought was uh, pretty disgusting, um, given the way that he's handled the situation. Um, so I, I think from that point of view, it's, it's, it's not particularly great. I, I thought it was really poor, the amount of MPs that, that voted for this. Um, doesn't bode well for our country, in my opinion. Um, the, the fair share side of things have been brilliant. You know, the, the, the um, Saints Foundation down at my football club um, supported brilliantly during the lockdown. Um, you know, I've been volunteering at, at Fair Share um, since back in April uh, and, I, and I've carried on doing that. And it's a fantastic charity and, and brilliantly supported by local companies and national companies um, to get these kids fed. And, and I think the fact that so many businesses now have stepped up and said that, you know, we will we will play our part in this. We will do what is just for me. That's brilliant that the community have come together like that. That's important. And this is not going to stop, Martin. I mean, Marcus Rashford has said, so long as you, the kids who need feeding, don't have a voice, I will be your voice and you have my word on it. That's, that, that was his exact quote in the last 24 hours. 
Yeah, he's, he's a very impressive guy. He's, he's been he's been wonderful with this. I mean, um, to to take this on, he's twenty two years old. Um, he's not developed as a footballer. He's got so he's got so much in his professional life that he could be focused on, and he's chosen to devote his private time to this and and and, and to put himself out there. And it, it, it's very impressive, and it shows the. Um, the weight that these guys carry, if if they want to be a force for good, if if you want if you want to if you want to you know do something with your position in society, you really can do. You can do something really positive. Yeah, it's really an astonishing story. That's going to carry on. Okay, that's the force for good in football, Martin. The force I won't say for bad because it depends on your. Oh view. no, say for bad. No, European. For bad, well, yeah. I don't want. I don't want it. I don't think anybody on here wants it. European Super League. Last week it was Project Big Six. Do you think yeah. that the, it's really the American owners driving this, the various clubs? Do you think they knew that Project Big Six would be voted down? And that, in a way, was a Trojan horse. They were trying to smuggle the European Super League in while we were all thinking about Project Big Six. No, I don't think it's as uh, I don't think it's actually as as well planned as that. I, I, I really don't think these guys are smart enough to do anything um, as as well planned as that. This is this is random. This is Real Madrid uh, of driving this. That was the team that couldn't beat Shakhtar Donetsk at home on um, Wednesday night. I think it was Tuesday night. Um, and um, they're they're driving this because they they're, they're doing no good. They're financially they're neither of Barcelona, um, and the, these clubs. Nothing is ever enough for them. Nothing is ever. And you just you just want to take a day off these guys. Just take a day off from bringing a bad idea to every meeting. A bad, self-serving, selfish idea that cuts everybody loose, that ruins the rest of the game. You know, but that's all, all they want. And, and Real Madrid want to, all of these uh, elite clubs want to eliminate risk. They want the freedom to be useless. You shouldn't have the freedom to be useless at that level. You shouldn't have the freedom to lose matches and lose matches and still qualify and still get in because now it's down to fourth and you can lose your first three group games because you've got another three left and you can qualify from that. This one, the European Super League, There'd be no relegation. There'd be no promotion. There'd be no, there'd be nothing. It's just it's just a void in which these big clubs just play each other endlessly and endlessly, and that's what's boring. That's what's boring. The absence of new, the absence of Nottingham Forest, the absence of you know a Southampton or anybody getting into this little this this this, this tournament that they've created for themselves. That's the only thing that ever makes it interesting. When you see an Atalanta or Leicester or Leipzig or Lyon suddenly turn up there, and you think, "Oh, here we go, we've got a new name." Other than that, it's just, it's the same terms over and over again. Viv, I'd like to think you're bristling there, and you can wave your European Cup winners' medal and say, "You know, the whole point of sport is it's a meritocracy. You earn the right to get into the elite, and sometimes if you're not good enough, you fall out of the elite." Yeah, you talk about Manchester United winning it a couple of years ago. I think they finished second in their group when I played all those years ago. Let's not go back now, all those years <laughs> ago. But um, we, we, it was the champions of the of the city of the team yeah. of the countries then, yeah. and it's a one-off like the FA Cup. You you play bad on the night, you're out. So it's eight games opposed to nineteen games, twenty games. You had to be on your on your metal when you played in those games, and it was. Really exciting for the supporters and for the players as well, you know, going to different places, playing against the, the great teams as they were then. So for Little Nottingham Forest to win back-to-back -back European Cups is an unbelievable achievement. And if they wanted their way, that would never happen again, which is a, 
a crying shame for football, I think, in my view. Now, what, what, what's, your, what's your visceral gut reaction, Viv, when you heard about the European Super League, given your, your success with Nottingham Forest in the European I've always talked about it for the last few years. I've always hinted about doing something like this. And I've always thought, where do you get the likes of Nottingham Forest, the Leicesters? These people have done well to, to achieve, to get into the big league and play against the opposition, to pit their wits against the better players of Europe. I think, I think it's a terrible shame that even suggesting it, as uh, as Martin actually says, it's, they've got nothing better to do. Matt, they don't want Manchester United against Southampton. They want Manchester United against Barcelona every week. Yeah, they do. Um, but I, I'm not sure we should we should be that surprised by it, to be honest, because I think as the years have gone on, it's become increasingly clear that, that greed is the, is the main factor in all of this. Um, it's self-interest. Um, and self-preservation uh, and it, it, to be honest it, it sickens me football is about the, the, the stories of, of a team coming from three divisions down making their way up to the Premier League and, and staying there a few seasons and then sometimes they drop all the way back down again and it's stories like that that, that fans are interested in it gets you know I'm a Southampton supporter now I, I'm interested if I see a club doing well in, in League 2 it interests me if they go back to back promotions I keep an eye on what they're doing you know, and it's those kind of stories that interest football fans, real football fans. If you ask, if you went and asked the fans what they thought about this project, to be honest, my first thought was, as a football fan, um, when the big project was was mooted, my first thought was, do you know what? Let them six sod off and let the rest of us carry on. And I'll tell you what, I think there'd be more interest in football in this country in a league that didn't have those top six people in who were just interested in, in greed and self-interest. Yeah. Matt, to be fair, like the championship, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, would absolutely. But to be fair to the Man United fans, clearly I can't speak for them, I don't think they want Man United Barcelona no, every week. I think, I think the joy of any sport, the joy of anything, is its relative rarity, isn't it? We love Christmas. Only, we don't want Christmas every day, whatever Noddy Holder says. We really don't. So, you know, the fact that we, man, if you're a Man United fan, you might play Barcelona once a season is really exciting. You're going to have the Manchester Derby twice a season. That's exciting. I don't think Man United want, not, don't not want to play Southampton. I think it's just the owners, Matt, don't you? I think the yeah, fans don't want the league as it is. Yeah, no, that, that's, who I was, that's who I was uh, talking about yeah. when I, I yeah. said about the big No, I know. Yeah, just to be clear, I think the fans want things as they are. No, and, that's, and that's why I said initially, if you ask the fans, that's what happened. I think that's what they would think. Uh, I think it's the owners that, that are obviously interested in the, in the greed and the self-interest. The greed doesn't come into it for the, for the fans. I think they have a completely different perspective on what they want to see on the pitch. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. But if you look you imagine at the... your team, Matt, going all the way from the lower leagues, getting into the and qualifying and not having the, not having the satisfaction of playing in that competition yeah. and going away and all the rest that goes with it. I mean, it's a crying shame. It's, the guy from Juventus, uh, Andrew Agnelli, um, last year proposed that, say, a team like Atalanta that, had, that have finished in the top four, that they shouldn't actually be allowed into the Champions League. It's not fair that Roma, who had done so much for the Champions League, now I can't think of anything Roma have done for the Champions League. They got, they got to the final once, got beaten at home, basically. But, um, and since then, they've had a couple of runs, but nothing much. But it's unfair that Roma... Uh, shouldn't be in the Champions League, whilst Atalanta are. And Atalanta had finished above Roma. I think they'd beaten Roma that season. And his proposal was that, say, a team like Leicester, if they finished top four, would be put in the Europa League because they haven't got the European pedigree 
Um, and, you know, I think Sociedad are, are top in Spain at the moment. And so a, a team like Sociedad, if they actually came fourth, would would go into the Europa League because it would all be about your history as well. And it's just it's just the opposite of, of the football meritocracy and the the Swiss system. That, that So go away from the Euro, European Super League at the moment because that's a little bit pie in the sky. Um, they're, they're proposing stuff to make changes to um, the Champions League itself. And one of the things they would like to do is 36 teams playing in what's called a Swiss system and you play 10 matches. They're not home and away. They're against 10 different teams. Some of them you'll play at home. Some of them you'll play away. So you'll play 10 of the 36 teams, 10 of the 35 teams that you could play. And everyone will have a different fixture list. And well, to the, the average football fan, that makes no sense. That, that, that isn't actually what fairness is about. Fairness is you play them home, you play them away, and, and, and those two results count. Then you, what you would do is you take the top 16 teams out of the 36 and they would go into the, the knockout rounds. Can you imagine how many dead rubbers there will be in that initial, in that initial 10 games of teams that can't qualify, of teams that all, have already qualified? And, and not only that, can you imagine how useless you can afford to be and still qualify. This is meant to be about excellence, this competition. It's meant to be about the greatest players and the greatest clubs. I've worked it out. You could lose four ma- you could lose six matches out of your ten and still qualify. Probably. Six out of ten. And you'd still get there. And that's all they want. They want this giant safety net. So they play more and more games, more and more games, whether they're any good or not. And they get more and more revenue from that. And they get more and more revenue. But it's not like your your as you say, your time with Nottingham Forest, Viv, where if you didn't turn up on the night, that was you gone. You gone, yeah. Six eight eight games to win it. I mean Brian Clough talked about a lot, didn't he? You know, you won it two years in a row, the next year, suddenly one bad performance, and you're out. Viv, I quite often think, quite often on, on social media, a Brian Clough interview pops up and it's always worth watching. I was thinking this morning, blimey. If you interviewed Brian Clough this morning, if you could, and go, right, Brian, European Super League, what do you think of that? Pay-per-view, what do you think of that? great <laughs> 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 socialist that he was, what he would say to all this? I dread to think what he would say. He'd be turning his grave and even as talking about it now, I would have thought. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just not his thing at all. You know, He wants to see attractive football played by good teams and hopefully you achieve something at the end of it and achieving something in our case was getting into the European Cup take that away from us would be absolutely scandalous but it's about risk and jeopardy it's about risk yeah. football they want to look after sort, what they've got don't they exactly football yeah. without any sort of risk well, yeah that's, that's not what we're up with pointless isn't it sport mm. without risk is pointless yeah, and Matt now we've risk. got pay-per-view and interesting that quite a few clubs Newcastle have done it uh, Newcastle fans have done it. Arsenal fans, I know, have done it for Monday night's game against Leicester and several other clubs. The fan supporters groups have said to them, don't pay pay-per-view, give us the 15 quid and we'll give it to a local charity, a food bank or whatever. What, what's your reaction to the whole pay-per-view situation? I think the pay-per-view situation was badly, badly misjudged. And again, it's just not reading the room properly, not having a look at what's going on in the world and thinking, is this really the right time to be asking fans to fork out another 15 quid on top of what's going on at the moment? It's just, I, I don't know, I just don't get 
where these people, I don't know what world these people live in, because they can't be watching the same news that I'm watching. Um, because if they thought that that was a good idea and that they'd be making loads and loads of money from that, uh, they've got to be sadly mistaken. I, I just, it, it baffles me. It really does. Greed in the world today is, is the worst, the worst thing that's happening. Um, you know, it, it's, it's certainly not the pandemic. That's not the biggest problem at the moment. I think greed is the biggest problem in this planet. Badly read, Martin. Yeah, I mean, look, they're panicking, aren't they? I mean, this is this this is a thing that, that they're panicking. They thought they would have fans back in by now. They haven't got fans back in by now. Um, you know, revenue streams are taking enormous hit. You see Manchester United's figures yesterday, and you're thinking this is Manchester United, and you know they're suddenly the four hundred and seventy four point one million pounds in debt. Fortunately, it's not the debt that UEFA are interested in because obviously um, Manchester United made sure of that, but. Um, but otherwise, they really would be in trouble. But um, £474.1 million in debt, partly due to coronavirus. All of the clubs are, 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 are just, they, they, they don't know what to do. They don't know when fans are going to come back. They don't know when those revenue streams are going to appear. And they made a, 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 a misjudgment, I think, um, on, on the pricing, on, on, on everything about that, really. Uh, the only degree of sympathy I've got from them for them is that they're trying they're trying to run a business without a revenue stream, um, and that that's that will be hard for anybody. Let, let's squeeze one more in about off the pitch. Somebody who's got a very good revenue stream without being on the pitch is Mesut Özil. Viv, one of your former clubs, Arsenal. He mm. tweeted as if he was the official Arsenal Twitter account throughout the Europa League game, was all bad luck burnt when Leno made a mistake and, you know, good goal so forth. How on earth do you read the situation with Ozil having been completely cut by Arsenal? For him not to be in the 25 is unbelievable. Matty, you're a flair player. Yeah. I mean, how you can possibly leave him out of the 25? When you've got a big lump of a centre-half in there before him, whoever that might be, you know, is beyond belief, really. Whatever you think of him, he's a talented footballer. Now he's not he's consistent. He doesn't do it week in, week out. But, you know, that's the manager's job to get the best out of him. You know, to leave Meza Ursel out, no matter what he's earning a week, he could be earning thumbs a week, he still should be in that squad because he's one of the better players. And Viv, do you think this, there's a PR battle going on now? Do you think that could derail Arsenal's season? Because I don't think Ozil's going to sit there and say nothing, clearly, on the evidence of the Europa League game. He might be Arsenal's unofficial tweeter in charge <laughs> in their matches, which at least would be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very expensive, I would have thought, as well. Yeah, wouldn't want to pay him. Social media. <laughs> they're, getting, they're, getting, they're getting rid of the mascot, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> and they're playing Mesa Lerza 300 odd grand a week. So, I mean... Going back to the player, I mean, I, I think Matt would agree with me. If you get him in the side, firing, working hard, that's what they want. They want to see him working hard and playing for the team. Is is a talent that you couldn't you couldn't leave out. You shouldn't leave out. Matt, Matt, Arteta said this is what Arteta says. It's nothing to do with his political view, <laughs> and it's nothing to do with the fact that he wouldn't take a pay cut. Do you think it's just he doesn't fit into Arteta's system because he doesn't work hard enough, he doesn't press enough? I don't know. What 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 do you think's going on? Uh, I think there's certainly um, something in that. Uh, but it, it seems a bit odd that I think he played every Premier League game under Arteta before we went into lockdown. Um, so something must have happened in that period of time where we spent three months without playing uh, for him to then come back and not playing 
from the start at all. You know, he didn't start a, a single game after lockdown. Um, and so I'm not quite sure how it went from him being a, a regular in the team to him completely not 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 just not starting games, but not coming on in games, not being in the squad in games. Uh, and it seems a little bit odd to me that as a manager, if you've got a squad of 25 players, yes, I understand that you want to play a certain style of football. And, and that's fine. Every manager will want a certain style of football. But for me, the best managers are the ones that are able to adapt a little bit and not just have one way of playing. And if you're going to do that, for me, to, for you to be a great manager, you have to be able to adapt and play different systems. And to be able to do that, you've got to have different personnel. So surely having somebody with the ability of Meza Ozil, who sees a pass better than any other Arsenal footballer in that squad, is surely somebody that is useful enough. OK, if you don't want him to be in the, in the starting eleven, fine. But he's useful enough and good enough to be able to influence games, perhaps coming off the bench, and, and to be included in a squad of 25 where there is, you know, certainly a few of those players who will be bit part players who will only play if there's some serious injuries around and won't have big effects on football matches as Ozil can. So it baffles me. All I would say is, I mean, there was a comparison right at the start between Meza Ozil and, and the man to, certainly on my screen, to my left, uh, Matt. And Matt's impact for Southampton, I mean... It, my memory of it is that he kept the club up for about 10 seasons on the turn. I mean, Ozil, if Ozil was having that sort of impact on Arsenal, he would be in that team every single time. And all, and all I would say is, if we, if we leave out the conspiracy theories to do with the, the, uh, whether taking wage cut or what he said about China, all that might have happened during lockdown is that Arteta has watched games after games after games and looking and he's thinking about how he plays. And he looks at Ozil and his contribution and he's just decided, no, I can't, I can't afford that. And, and sometimes managers make that decision. Sometimes they get to that stage where they just go, right, well, I've got to, I've got to draw a line in the sand here. And he's either that side of it or he's that side of it. Right. Well, he's, he's, uh, that was the same with David Luiz, though, wasn't it? You know, yeah. everybody thought David Luiz was going to leave. And then all of a sudden he's back in the team, signed a contract, yeah. back in the team. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he thinks, well, yeah, I think I'll use him now. And I just don't see... The logic behind the, the Meza Ozil thing for me. Mm. I think Matty's spot on. Somebody coming off the bench like him, sees a pass, scores a goal, you know, is uh, crucial to what Arsenal would need. Viv, I don't disagree with that. I'm just, I'm, just think, I'm just trying to put myself in Arteta's shoes and thinking, well, what would persuade you to cut a guy entirely? And, and that's the only thing that I can think of that would persuade you to cut a guy entirely. So if you've just been looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and just thinking, I'm... I've got other guys that would possibly change the game more than him. And I find it, I think it's a great shame because he's a beautiful player. Absolutely beautiful player. Well, that was Connor Cody, Viv, who's played really well for England and England are playing with a three at the back. If Gareth Southgate carries on with that system in the Euros next summer, could you see Connor Cody playing at three at the back at Wolves as he does as very much in that team for England? Uh, 100%. I've watched him play over the last season and I've, uh, he's a great talker, big communicator. I think England needs that, especially in a three. And he's a, he's, his selection of passes is really good as well. And he, he scored a goal the other day as well. I think for me, uh, yes, he's, he's definitely one on the list because he's, he's very committed. He's very good with the rest of the players, I believe, in the squad. Very likeable guy. 
And as you say, with nobody in the crowds, all you can hear is Connor Cody's shouting mm -hmm. instructions to everybody, so, which is great. So I like people like that. So for me, he's definitely on the on the. I mean, that's very true. I was at Wembley the other day for the Wales game. and Absolutely. You could really hear you Connor could, Cody very loud. All the time. All the time. He's a big Liverpool fan, Matt. And Jamie Carragher had a bit of a laugh with him the other day after they won at Leeds and went, well, you know, maybe you can come to Liverpool. I mean, there may be a serious point in there that Jurgen Klopp thinks, I need somebody to replace Van Dijk for the season. So <coughs> what do you think, Matt? Is it, is it, a, is it a Connor Cody type oh. figure or does he just leave Fabinho in there who played very well in Amsterdam the other night and has played there before, of course? Yeah, I, I think Fabinho has obviously done that role before and is pretty comfortable in it. Um, I, I think if Connor Cody was to go to Liverpool, I think that would signal uh, a huge change in how Jurgen Klopp would like his team to play. Yeah. Uh, because I, I don't think uh, Connor Cody in a flat back four would be the same kind of player that he would be in a in a in a three, if I'm honest. So uh, I, I don't see him as a as a direct replacement to, to Virgil Van Dijk, and uh, I, I think it would be a huge shock if uh, if, if he did um, slot in there and, and just slot into a back four at Liverpool. Um, you know, especially on that left hand side. Uh, I, I agree with him. I think he's a, he's a he's a terrific player as the as the middle man of a back three, um, with all the qualities that he possesses. He's perfect to play there, and I don't think there's probably anybody in the Premier League in terms of uh, English players who would be better in that position than him. So, do you think he'll leave, uh, do you think Klopp will leave Fabinho in there by and large? Uh, I think he probably will. I think he probably will. Um, uh, I, I think he's got a lot of trust in him. Uh, and he is, you know, he's a fabulous footballer, uh, and you, you wouldn't put it past him to just slot in there and, and look very comfortable in that position over a, uh, an extended period of time. Martin, it's interesting looking at injuries which have really shaped title races. We go all the way back mm -hmm. to Roy Keane getting injured at Ellen Road in okay, seven ninety eight. Yeah. Arsenal won the league. Arsenal themselves going very well in this in uh, in win the winter, early spring when Eduardo broke his ankle at mm -hmm. Birmingham. Do you feel like this is one of those we might look back at it and go, that was the turning point of that season? Could we be in that sort of category? Well, um, it's very, very recent. I mean, last season, um, Pep Guardiola, um, I know a friend of a friend, you know, speaking to Pep Guardiola, says, uh, and Guardiola breaks it down three ways, um, why Man City were so far behind Liverpool last season. It's not saying Manchester City would have won the league. It's just saying these are the three factors. This is why it was 20-odd points at one stage and ended up at 18 or whatever. A third of it, six points he, he evaluates as, is not having Emmerich Laporte. Um, and he said it's not even because he's the best defender, it's because the way he starts the play for them. He's the guy that brings it out the back. He's the guy that releases the fullbacks. He's the guy that makes the decisions and, and everything. That's what Van Dyke does for Liverpool. That he kickstarts a lot of a lot of their best moves, a lot of their counter-attacking moves, very, very quick thinking, kicks it all off for them. That's a big loss. That's a big loss because Fabino, I thought, was tremendous against Ajax. I thought he was tremendous there in that position against Liverpool. But it's not like having Van Dyke uh, as the playmaker from the back. So that's six points. What were the other twelve? We're all we're all we're all interested. Oh, the other twelve. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the other the eighteen. Yeah. Right. So the other twelve. Okay. The other twelve. So he divided it into thirds. A third of it was uh, was not having Laporte. Yeah. A third of it was it's always hard to hardest to win your third title because 
you know, retaining it is a is a thing, and then there is naturally a oh, we've done it a couple of times, and everyone relaxes, and there's a little bit of complacency, and you put a third of it down to that, and you put a, the other third of it down to the fact that Liverpool were so driven, having missed out on on the league the season. So these are really unquantifiable things, but. That's that's the way he split, he split it. That Liverpool were, were massively driven, having come so close the year before. His team was probably a little bit softer, a little bit more complacent, and they lost them. You've got to deal with it, though, haven't you? I mean, I know he's a key player, but it's not the first team to lose a key player, and not the first team to lose a key player in reasonably controversial circumstances because of the nature of the Pickford tackle. I, yeah. I, 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 I get back into your dressing with Brian Clough. You've got to deal with it, lads. Uh, you just got to get on with it at the end of the day. I don't think one man makes a team anyway. You know, they've got several really top-class players. I think they should look for another one, you know, not much, not to the stature of Van Dijk, but you've got Matic who can come in. I think he's injured at the moment. You know, you've got Gomez. So I think you could, you'd could you look for maybe a younger one in the lower leagues, which we, which we can do these days. Try and find somebody like that to come, come in if needed, if needs be. But I think it's a big miss. Of course, it's a big miss. At the end of the day, we've got several top-class players. And I think they'll be there and thereabouts at the end. Don't worry about that. And it's interesting. It is a big miss, Matt. But if we go back to this time last season, we all kept saying, media punters as well, Liverpool have done well this season because nobody's been out for very long. So, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. That's what we're saying, isn't it? No, absolutely. You know, you, you don't go on forever without getting, you know, some, some key players out injured. You know, Man City also, um, you know, look a different team when Kevin De Bruyne doesn't play, for instance. Mm. And, and Van Dijk is that big an influence on the team as a De Bruyne is for Man City or a Laporte. And so um, it is going to be interesting to see how they cope. However, you, you've got to remember, um, I, I don't think Van Dijk had started the season that brilliantly, uh, if I'm honest. I think... Um, uh, I think his levels of performance hadn't been up to the high standards that he'd set uh, in the previous season or two. Um, so uh, from, from that perspective, you know, I look at Liverpool's squad of defenders and they do look a little bit short um, in, in that department. Uh, and that's perhaps an issue that the manager might look back on and, and regret a little bit, as perhaps Pep's did. I mean, you, you look at Man City missing Laporte. When you see the amount of money that they've spent, you mm. do sometimes look at, look, look at it and think, if they've spent that much money, why is their squad not a little bit stronger than that? Well, it's been uh, over 400 million on, on defenders. On defenders. on defenders. Exactly on right. Defenders. Exactly right. And that's why you look at it and think, well, hang on. Should missing one player make that much difference when you've been able to spend that kind of money on your squad? Uh, and you know that's a that's a deficiency of the of the manager and the and the well I, I guess the recruitment department, um, but I'm sure the manager has a, a huge say in that. Well, this time last year, Pep Guardiola definitely said that he he sensed no he felt that Fernandinho was going to play in there, which is very similar to now Fabinho playing in there for Liverpool. Let's finish looking ahead to the weekend. Everton, who, who are still top of the table, go to your club Southampton, but no James Rodriguez. How does that? Mm. Um, level things up, if at all, in your view, Matt? Um, I, I think it, it levels things up quite a bit. Uh, however, um, the, the thing I was probably more excited, I don't know if excited is the right word, uh, slightly happier about, um, is that Richarlison is obviously going to be suspended. For the last couple of seasons, been a real thorn in our side at Southampton and just seems to score every time he plays against us. 
So whilst, whilst I was watching the game last week, when I saw the red card come out, I was actually, the first thing that went through my mind was, brilliant, he's brilliant. not playing this week. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how fans' minds work, you know. And, and yeah. so I was probably more excited about Richarlison not playing than than perhaps Hammers. However, Hammers Rodriguez has had a fantastic start to his Everton career there, and, and has looked a real danger, a real top quality footballer. So if he isn't available for Sunday, um, again there'll be a little smile on my face, and that gives us a better chance of winning the football match. There's no guarantees, but it gives us a little bit of a better chance, and perhaps you know that also lifts the spirits of the Southampton boys when the team sheet comes in, because that, that happens as well. Yeah. They're Manchester United-Chelsea, always a great game. Yeah. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he, he seems to be the manager now about whom we, there is a crisis either today or there'll be one tomorrow. But there's not one the result. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was obviously a terrible crisis after the Tottenham humiliation. Then yeah. a really good last 10 minutes at Newcastle where United deservedly won. Yeah. And then an outstanding display at PSG. So I suppose my question is, they're not quite as bad as we think, but maybe not quite as good as two wins in a row suggest they are. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're somewhere in the middle, United, aren't they? And I, Yeah, I watched the, the last two games as well, and I, and I thought, are, are PSG that bad or are we that good? You know, he changed the system, which which mm. in, when he did really well, he played a three at the back because he had no other players to play, and it worked perfectly. I thought they played really well against PSG. Does he, do, does he adopt that system coming back to play Chelsea? I don't know. Does he leave Paul Podger out? Another decision, I don't know. But i tell you what, some good performances there. And it'd be very harsh on the boys if, they, if some of them, if they get left out because uh, they're going back to the back four or they're playing Chelsea or whatever it may be. So, um, the jury's still out, you know. I, I was pleased that they, they fought back against Newcastle. I thought they played really well against Newcastle and it carried on into the PSG uh, game. So, um, this will be a big test for them. Chelsea are a decent team and... Uh, I look forward to that game because it's always a good game, that. And I'm always fancy Manchester United, especially against Chelsea at home. Well, the thing about Chelsea, Martin, is they're very good going forward and very average at the back. Now, they may well have Mendy back in goal because Kepa, I mean, in the end, you had just to feel sorry for him last weekend. I mean, it all went horribly wrong, especially with the second goal. But that's what Chelsea are. Very good one end of the pitch, not so good the other end. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> tell me about it. I mean, that, that's just about every single team you see these days. Is you go, oh, they're great going forward. I can't defend the toughy, but I mean, they're great going forward. I mean, it, coming back to the point about Liverpool, and I'll they should go out and buy a centre half. Try and find one. I mean, yeah. try and everyone find one that, that everyone wants to want, wants a Virgil Van Dyke type centre half, and they're just not out there. Um, I mean, there must be a young one there, though, Martin, somewhere you would have thought well, you'd hope, you, you can you'd come in the team and just go out now and again and then play Matip and all the others around. Oh, no, they've well, got you, a couple of Liverpool in reserve, but they've got no experience. That's the problem, yeah. Yeah, but take them in, take them out, see, see how they do that sort of thing, opposed to going out and spending 50 million on somebody that might not be the right. Oh, absolutely, but. Viv, you, you can do that. You can, but but it's becoming less. I was um, I was with Arsene Wenger this week, and um, and he was saying you can't bring young players through in the Premier League anymore. There's there is too much at stake. You're under too much pressure. Um, you know, you you really can't get um, young players into your team until they're in the early twenties. He was he's talking about teenagers and and, and stuff. So there's they, no room for a, no a young manager, a, a young Viv Anderson in it's, any team. Well, it's not what I think, but that's the guy that is the manager, basically. That's the guy that's got the pressure. I haven't got the pressure. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's play the kids. It'll be great. But, you know, and Frank did that last year uh, at Chelsea. But 
Wenger's point is you just haven't got there is too much pressure at the at the Southampton end or the Nottingham Forest end. There's too much pressure to stay in the league. At, at, at Chelsea, you know what happens if you don't win the league for two seasons at Chelsea. Um, so Wenger is talking about it from a manager's point of view that 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 increasingly it's not the place. That's why you he talks about guys going out on loan. He talks about the City Football Group and how they do it, where you've got clubs all over Europe and they can they can put people here, there and everywhere. Um, and um, I, I can understand it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can understand it. Uh, and that's and that was partly, uh, I mean, you talk about Chelsea, he's persevering. I say we young defenders, Christensen and Zuma aren't exactly young, but he's, 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 he's been persevering with these players as, the, as they've been developing, as they've been developing. It doesn't always go well. Martin, let's finish because you've got your interviews in the paper on Saturday with Wenger, isn't it? Yeah, with Wenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, absolutely. Did you tell him you were all for touch and go free kicks? And we'll funnily, ask, funnily yeah. enough, yeah. I, I, well, I've, I've told him that before. To be fair, I mean, yeah, I've told him that before. He's happy with your support. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's happy with my support. Yeah, I mean, I doubt very much it means anything. To be fair. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's happy with anyone's support. I would have thought. Um, no, uh, we've talked about this before. I, I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. Put the ball down and go. Matt, Matt, touch and go free kick. Uh, yeah, I quite like that, especially around the box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. shut off. Yeah. And, uh, as, a yeah, as a defender, no. Oh, exactly. As a defender, no. Exactly. You don't get a chance to get in a position, do you? <laughs> that, well, this is it. You, you do. Funnily enough, <laughs> you've got to come back to this. Funnily enough, if you do, because I've seen how it works in hockey. They brought the rule in hockey about 10 years ago. That's when I started writing about it and saying, look, this, this rule I've just brought in hockey is absolutely fantastic. Right. People do get into position. That's the marvellous thing, that you think it's just going to be people putting the ball down and running with it, but actually clubs are sure, you know, players are, 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 are shrewd. They're clever. The best ones, as soon as the, the free hit is given, everyone gets back into position. And that's, that cuts out all arguing with the referee. That's the other fantastic <laughs> thing about it. You can't <laughs> argue about the, with, with anything about the referee. You've got to get in position. Not if I'd come 60 yards from a corner, it isn't. I'm never going to get in the position, am I? Dave, Dave, if you saw Matt Letizia picking the ball up, you wouldn't argue with the ref because you knew what was about to happen. You'd say to your defenders, get into position. Martin's <laughs> yeah, yeah, from about 60 yards away, they would hear me. <laughs> get into position. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you, he's going to shoot. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, James. That's great. Uh, we'll see you soon. And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On.